and welcome back to the Past and Present Podcast. This is your host, Kim Groves, hoping you've been having a lovely weekend. It is certainly getting very hot where I am right now. The last couple of days, it has been in the 90s, and I'm not ready for this. And I, admittedly, I used to live in Florida where you would think it would be a lot hotter, but in Florida, I lived about 10 minutes from the beach, as opposed to now I live more like 35 or 40 minutes from the beach. So it is crazy, crazy, crazy hot here. And we didn't really have very much of a spring, so I'm really hoping we get a nice storm to sort of cool things off. So, but I guess summer's here, so I'm gonna make the best of it. Uh, Let's see, today we are going to be continuing with our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And I got some feedback from somebody uh, who let me know that this series has actually had them encourage them to look at the Sermon on the Mount in a different, in a way they had never looked at it before. And so she has been sharing the podcasts with her daughter, her adult daughter, and they've both been enjoying them. And I love hearing that feedback because that makes me know that maybe I'm doing, maybe I'm doing this podcasting thing right. Uh, Let's see. Today, we are going to talk about taking revenge. And uh, we're still talking about the righteousness of the kingdom. So, uh, and we've seen Jesus contrast the, the righteousness to that of the scribes and Pharisees and how they interpreted and applied the law to such matters as murder, adultery, divorce, and the swearing of oaths, which have been our last four weeks. So today we're going to consider what Jesus taught concerning vengeance in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. And I'm going to start off by uh, reading those verses. And uh, bear with me, again, I am using the 1599 Geneva Bible Patriot Edition. And uh, again, you can find it on Amazon. Starting with verse 38, ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the, at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever will compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh, and from him that would borrow of thee, Turn not away. Now, the law of Moses and the traditional interpretation and application. So again, we're going to come come at this the same way we come at our last four topics. So remember, we have that beginning statement. Ye have heard it hath been said. You have heard it said. It has been said or it has been taught. Um, And the... The statement, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, is found in Exodus in chapter 21, verses 24 and 25, and paralleled in Deuteronomy 19.21. And the thing about the first five books, well, actually, let me narrow that down. In Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, is that those four books um, of history, or those four books of the law, Um, repeat the same things over and over. So you're going to read in one and you're going to find it in one of the other ones, at least once or twice. So um, from the context, we are, it is seen that these statements were actually laws for the civil courts to decide, 
to apply. And in Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 21, and Exodus 21, 22 through 23, they were given to guide the priests in meriting out proper punishment. So think of it in terms of this. When someone goes to court and is charged with a crime, they are, a, a judge has what they call sentencing guidelines. And this is a minimum and maximum and an average sentence for whatever the crime would be. And if it's multiple crimes, there's latitude for the judge to run sentences concurrent or consecutively. Concurrent means they would serve all that time at one time, so each crime would be served at the same time. Consecutive would be, but consecutively would be they would serve the time for one crime, then they would serve time for the next crime, and then they would serve time for the third crime, and so forth and so on. So, um, so these are basically, I guess you, if you want to call them that, they're sentencing guidelines. And it appears that the scribes and Pharisees had interpreted these statements so as to justify personal retribution. Okay, so in other words, vigilante justice or street justice or whatever you want to call it. So they took civil, basically civil court sentencing guidelines and said these applied to personal affronts. So if someone did you dirty, then you had the right to exact punishment from them. When that really was not at all what the the deal was this was these eye for an eye tooth for tooth were for the courts to decide to met out the punishment not the average person so um and it applied them by frequently taking matters of revenge into their own hands just as many people do today and i i i i've seen the movie the, the untouchables with um the late sean connery and he says, if, the, if um, they send uh, one of yours to the hospital, you send one of theirs to the morgue. So it's, it's that kind of thing. And my husband does a better Sean Connery than I do, considering I'm the, the one who's the Scottish you know, descendant. But, um, but it's that kind of thing. It's, it's personal retribution, vengeance, revenge. And, and I call it, like I said, vigilante, street justice type thing. However... As we would, we would know as mature Christians, the law of Moses repeatedly forbids personal vengeance. Vengeance is not ours to take. We are not supposed to go out there and avenge ourselves. Um, in Leviticus 19.18, uh, Proverbs 20.22 and 24.29, the matter of vengeance was to be left up to God and his duly appointed agents i.e. civil governments, like in Romans. Therefore, there is really no difference between what the law taught and what we find in the New Testament. There is no place for personal vengeance in the lives of those who are the children of God. Now, let's take a little bit more closely, because let's be real. We all want, at times, we're so hurt, we want to take vengeance on those that have hurt us. And I'm not immune from that. My friends aren't immune from that. And I would consider all of us to be very good Christians. But sometimes you hurt so badly or you have been hurt by someone so badly or they have committed such a personal foul against you that you want vengeance. You want revenge. You, you want to take some kind of action against them. 
So as always, the righteousness of the kingdom is taught by Jesus. And he proclaimed two principles. The first is do not resist an evil, evil person and react to the evil being done by doing good. So um, I, my friend Dave always says it, says it best. So don't let your good be spoken evil of. But also, um, we, we should not try to push back against somebody who's evil. So not only should you not take that vengeance into your own hands, you don't even oppose or resist the evil person when the evil is being done. And just, in other words, let them do them. Let them, in, in the words of a friend of mine, let them show their backside. Let them show what they really are and allow them to commit this evil against you. And you're surprised and they're going, well, Kim, wait, you know, I can't allow someone to do evil against me. That would be wrong. God wouldn't want that. Well, that, but don't, yes, God does not want that. But at the same time, you are not in the position to take that vengeance because we are overrun by our human emotions and they are wild, wicked, wonderful things. Um, our human emotions. And when we act out of our human emotions, we are going to do just as much wrong as the person who wronged us. So he says, Jesus says to react to the evil being done by doing something good. So he says, the principle is illustrated by Jesus with several examples. Reacting to physical abuse, turn the other cheek. So this may refer to offering the other cheek as an expression of love. Now, I'm I'm certainly not in going to sit here and say, "Hey, if someone's beaten up on you, don't defend yourself." You you should defend yourself, but at the same time, understand they're committing an evil, and if you show them that, "Hey, you're going to commit this evil against me, I'm going to not allow it, but I'm not going to come after you for it." So reacting to a civil suit, he says you should give more than what the person is suing for. So, and, and I mean, that's, that's really hard. And, and the, the thing is, we don't want to pay anything more than what, what we've, we're supposed to pay. And, and I, I feel that, you know, and, and when you are dealing with a situation like that, you need to totally understand that God's going to bless you in the way you, proportional to the way you react. If you react in vengeance, you're not going to receive that blessing. If you react in love and deference to Christ, you're going to receive a multitude. Excuse me. It has been a very long day for me. Um, now, in reacting to government oppression, offer to do more than what is being demanded of you. So if, and... I think, and that's part to, and parcel to me of civic responsibility. So when our civic leaders tell us to go out and make sure we shovel our sidewalks after it snows, and they say you have to have a path big enough for the mailman to walk down. Well, I'm not just going to shovel one snow shovel's width of snow. What do I do? I do more. I not only shovel my entire driveway and my sidewalk, but I will shovel my neighbors as well. And they would do the same for me. And that is because I, that is a civic responsibility. That is taking care of your neighbor's 
and doing more than what is being asked of you by the government. Now, I'm lucky. I live out in the country now, so I don't have a sidewalk. But I do have a driveway, and you don't think I'm going to take my, my uh, front-end loader and go plow my neighbors out when they need it? And one of my neighbors has a, a rather long driveway. And do you think I'm not going to go down there and, and plow out her driveway if we have a big snow? Absolutely I will. She's a, a lovely 80-year-old lady, and I would not ever think of not helping her out. So we should also react to those seeking help by giving them what they ask for. And I, and we have basically, we have a sort of an ordinance here that um, we, we don't, we don't give to, they call them solicitors. Uh, in other words, we don't give money to panhandlers at the corner because it, in, in the eyes of, of our city, it just encourages that behavior and that's very unsafe behavior to have people walking around busy intersections, going to cars, up to cars and asking for money. But if I see a, a homeless person and I know that they are, you know, not going to go buy drugs or alcohol or whatever, I will certainly go give them five or ten dollars. And, and I'm going to put this out here. There's this um, homeless gentleman. His name is Curtis. And uh, Curtis actually, I'm not going to say he enjoys being homeless, but I think he enjoys the freedom being homeless gives him. And Curtis has a stash of cleaning supplies. And what does Curtis do? He literally will sweep the parking lots, the sidewalks, and clean the gutters of private buildings, private businesses, from like a grocery store all the way up to a, a convenience store. It's like a three block radius. Uh, and he'll sweep the front and the back. And those are the cleanest parking lots in town. I guarantee it. But, and I know Curtis, and he, Curtis is a sweetheart, and I will give Curtis 10 or 15 or $20 when I see him because I know Curtis is going to use that money to get something to eat, something to drink, go to Goodwill and get something to wear, or whatever. But I know I'm, I'm, doing, that, I'm doing that because A, Curtis is a, a brother in Christ, but also Curtis is a, is He's contributing to the society in his own way. And that makes me think i got to go out and try to find Curtis because sometimes I don't always see him first thing in the morning. In each case, the principle is the same. We are not to resist the person who would mistreat us or would try to deprive us of our possessions. Instead, we should react in a positive manner and demonstrate love. So doing, giving them freely more than what they would hope to gain by force, oppression, or manipulation. So the question is, is this to be taken literally? And I would say, yes. Uh, we have several Old and New Testament examples. Joseph forgave his brothers. David spared the life of Saul. Elisha fed the, the army of the Arameans. And in the New Testament, we have Jesus, who is the prime example, Stephen when he was being stoned, and the Hebrew Christians who joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods. So, if not, how do we apply the words of Jesus if we're not to take it literally? So what does Jesus mean? Um, are we to apply it unconditionally? i.e., must we decide who is worthy to re receive this kind of treatment? 
So Jesus, you know, and I, I, I maybe need to backpedal a little bit. Jesus does not give us any indication that we are to use discretion. Paul does give us some qualifying instructions in 2 Thessalonians, but it applies to those who are Christians. And we have a responsibility <coughs> to judge those in the church, leaving those outside to God. So I think God actually gives us discretion and, and will tell us that you should help this person because. And, you know, if I know that I, if I give money to somebody and they're just going to go off and get drunk or do drugs and have the potential to harm someone else, then that's not, I'm not being, I'm not helping out Christ or I'm not helping out um, um, that person by doing that, enabling that behavior. So the attitude of the Christians in the second century uh, were, was put up by uh, Hermas in 135 AD. Uh, he said, do good and give liberally to all who are, not, who are in need from the wages God gives you. Do not hesitate about whom you should not give. Give to all, for God wishes gifts to be made out to, to all out of his bounties. And Irenaeus said, and he said to love not only our neighbors, but also our enemies, and to be givers and sharers, not only with the good, but also to be liberal givers toward those who take away our possessions. And Clement of Alexandria said, do not judge those who is, is worthy and who is unworthy, for it is possible you for you to be mistaken in your opinion. In the uncertainty of ignorance, it is better to do good to the unworthy for the sake of the worthy than by guarding against those who are less good not to encounter the good. For by sparing and trying to test those who are well-deserving or not, it is possible for you to neglect some who are loved by God, the penalty for which is the eternal punishment of fire. But by helping all those in need in turn, you must assuredly find some who, you are, who are able to save you before God. So these, these statements were written at a time when Christians were consistently mistreated, abused, and manipulated. So to summarize, um, we should not resist evil, and we should respond to evil by doing good in turn. We should teach, uh, the teachings of Jesus in this passage are challenging because we are human and opposed to what we might call our human nature. But we are called upon to be partakers of the divine nature. In other words, to be more like God than men. So, uh, we should always inspire to do good. Well, I think that about sums us up for the day. And uh, for our Thursday talk, we will be discussing the Queen of Sheba. Again, this today's talk was the Sermon on the Mount on taking revenge from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. And this is Kim Groves, and I, as always, I enjoy hearing from you. You can email me at kimg.pastandpresentpodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at, at podcast underscore past, and on Facebook at Rebirth Network and Rebirth Encouraged, both with a purple heart between the words. And I encourage you to join us on Thursday when we will be discussing, like I said, the Queen of Sheba. Again, this is Kim Groves with the Past and Present Podcast. And I encourage you to stay blessed and unstressed and unbothered by the rest. Have a great day.